Let's turn our Bibles not to Second Kings chapter number six. Second Kings chapter number six. And uh I tell you, I'm thankful. I need him as much today as I've ever needed. It's not that I need him to do the same things that I needed him to do at one time. At one time I needed him to save me and forgive me of my sins and birth me into the family of God. But uh nowadays I, I don't need him to re-save me because he saved me right the first time. But I do need him to restore my soul whenever I have strayed from him. And I need him to cleanse me of the guilt and shame of even sin that I get involved in today. And I understand that positionally that sin was dealt with at the cross of Calvary. And when I received him as my Savior, that sin was done away with. It was dealt with. But uh, still uh, that sin, that present sin in my life, it can disrupt fellowship. And I need him to restore that day by day. And I'm glad. Listen, you don't ever quit needing him. <laughs> it's a funny idea some folks have. Like you get born again and then say, all right, Jesus, see you in heaven one of these days. And that's how a lot of people try to live their lives. And they find discouragement, defeat. And, uh, and, and, and devastation. You know why? Because we don't ever quit needing Him. In fact, you will sense your need of Him. The closer you get to Him, you will sense that need deeper. And uh, the farther you are from Him, the less you'll think you need Him. But the closer you get to Him, the more you're going to realize how much you need Him. I need Him more today than I've ever needed Him in my life. I'm glad that He's a present help in time of need, aren't you? Second Kings chapter number 6 tonight. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 8. This message was really born out of a statement that was made at our church camp this past year. Uh, I love listening to other people preach because they have better messages than me. And they'll say things that will spark something in my heart and in my mind and prompt me uh, to study. And and uh, there was something that a preacher said this past year. He was talking about this topic, and God used it to start working in my heart. And so we'll just try to do our best tonight to please the Lord in all that we say. Second Kings chapter number 6 and verse number 8. The Bible says this, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He says, We've got a spy in our midst. We need to figure out who it is. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Now, I just want to pause here. You know, the word Dothan, it, it, it means dealing with the law. That's what it has to do with. It has to do with the law of God. And you know, sometimes preacher get up and preach, and uh, you'll think he's been spying on you. You'll think he's been reading your mail. and uh, But you know what you'll find? You'll find that he got all his information down in, in the law and the Word of God. That's where it came from. Down in Dothan's where he lives at. Amen. That's where the Word of God speaks to hearts. And you say, well, preacher, how would you know I've been going through this? I didn't know you was going through it till you told me you was going through it. But God knew that you was going through it. And the Holy Ghost of God, from the Word of God, was speaking to your heart about something in your life. Man, I'm glad the Lord knows. He can read all my mail. Amen. Verse 14, Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, 
Behold, an host come past the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. We'll stop there and pray tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you for your good mercy, Lord. We thank you for your sweet presence. We thank you for what you did this morning, that soul that was saved and hearts that were stirred, Lord, and uh, just how you work in our little church, Lord. We don't deserve that. We've not earned it. We're not getting it done or doing it right. But God, you and your mercy and favor have sought to bless this little church. And I thank you for it, Lord. I I praise you for all that you have done and will do in our midst. But Lord, now we turn our attention to the Word of God this evening, to this present hour, and to what we desire for you to do in our hearts and lives. And here's what we want, Lord. We want your will to be done. We want you to have the right of way in our life and we want you to take the governance of it. Lord, we want you to deal with us in a way that would be well-pleasing in your sight. Lord, we know that if it's for your glory, it's going to be surely for our good. So help us to be obedient. Help us to hear and heed the word of God tonight. And may Christ be magnified in everything that's said and done. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In 2 Kings chapter number 6, this fascinating uh, story unfolds before us, but I am most interested in what transpires in verse number 17. Now, the Bible has already uh, laid out the details for us. There's no need to revisit all of them except to say that Elisha and his servant are surrounded by enemies. They are daunted. They are fearful. They are intimidated, or at least the young man is. Elisha, not so much. And the reason is because Elisha is looking around, seeing something that this young man is not seeing. And Elisha prays for this young man that God, verse number 17, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Bible says that when the Lord opened the eyes of this young man, he saw that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now, I told you at camp, the uh, preacher got up and he just, you know, sometimes preachers, preachers, their throwaway statements are better than my whole sermons. And he just made this statement and just sort of moved on beyond it. But he said, you know, there's more than just the dimensions that we see. Uh, You think about the way we describe and define dimensions and how we interact with and perceive the world around us. If we were to talk about something that was one-dimensional, we'd just be talking about something that's seen linear on a map. You can only see its existence, but you cannot see it spatially. Then if you were to see something two-dimensionally, you would see its width, but you would also see its height as well. And we see in three dimensions, meaning that we can see not only its height and, and, and its width, but we can see its depth as well. We can look beyond that. But did you know there's more dimensions than just third dimension? Uh, in fact, the Bible tells us that there are things transpiring all around us that we cannot see with the naked human eye. Ephesians chapter number 6 says it this way in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, why would we need to do that? Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Well, why is that important? Well, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood, that's things we can see. Things we can touch. Things we can handle. Flesh and blood. Tangible things. Things that live within the dimension that we operate on. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, 
to stand. So Paul tells us this, that there is a spiritual warfare actively engaged all around us. You'll find all throughout the Old Testament this truth attested to. You'll find times uh, whenever uh, Moses would would pray and the children of Israel, as he prayed, would begin to, to win. And then when he would cease praying, they would begin to lose. You say, preacher, what was happening there? Was his praying helping the soldiers on the field so much? No, but his praying was helping the soldiers in that other dimension a whole lot. He was praying and asking God to give him victory. And literally the angels and the devils that were battling and fighting and warring one with another, their warfare was being dictated and determined not by prowess on the battlefield, but by prayer in the Christian heart. Say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this, that when we read this passage, what it's about more than anything is about a man. It's actually about three different men and their relationships to this spiritual dimension. There are a whole host of people that walk around in the world today who, though they are affected by the spiritual dimension around us, they never really are aware that it's taking place. I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, a lot of people are just sort of like a ball in a pinball machine getting bounced around this world, never having a clear comprehension of the forces of the powers that are moving them in those ways. But you know, when you got born again, you got translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, and you got awakened to some of these things. You learned firsthand there was a spiritual dimension. How did you learn that? Because the Holy Ghost of God moved your soul and told you some things about yourself and where you were headed and what Christ did for you. So, preacher, I don't know if I believe in that spiritual dimension. Well, you believed in it when you got saved. You believed in it enough that you prayed to a God you couldn't see. You believed in enough that you prayed so that you could avoid a hell you ain't never been to. You believed in enough that you prayed so that you could go to a heaven that you ain't never visited. And you say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying we as believers need to learn to see in this new dimension. Now, I don't mean that we'll see with the physical eye the way that Elisha's servant does here. But I do mean that we can see in this dimension with the eye of faith. Meaning we can read what the Word of God teaches about this dimension and we can live our lives in light of the reality of that truth. I want you to notice with me tonight, and if I titled the message, I'd title it this way, Seeing in a New Dimension. And I want you to notice these three men in this passage and how they are reacting or not reacting to this spiritual dimension around them, to these spiritual realities. And I want you to notice how it changes the way that they behave. Let me say the first person I think we have to notice here in our text is the first person that is really mentioned as a figure in this story, although he is not mentioned by name until we get down to verse number 12. He sort of makes his first appearance back all the way in verse number 9. The Bible says in verse 8, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. Verse 9 says, And the man of God. Now we know who the man of God is in this passage. He's named in verse number 12. He's named Elisha. Elisha is the prophet of God. The Bible says, The man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place. Now, what does that mean? Well, he went and checked if that's where they was. Sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Now, that don't mean zero times. It means more than twice. Three or more times. He sent down, discovered that Elisha was telling him the truth and responded to that truth obediently. Let me say, number one, that we see in Elisha tonight a man dealing in the spirit spiritual dimension. This is a man who's not waging his warfare in the temporal 
reality, but rather in the spiritual reality of the warfare that was unfolding before him. This is something that is wholly unfamiliar to earthly created religion today. Uh, most, well, let me just say all religion as the world defines it is human created. I understand there is a, a, a biblical concept of religion. And by the way, it has very little to do with what God did for you on Calvary. Uh, because religion is all about what man does for God, not about what God did for man. That's why the Bible don't talk a whole lot about even religion undefiled. It mentions it once in the book of James, the only time uh, that it mentions pure religion and undefiled. Could be it's hard to find pure religion, amen? Because religion is human uh, originated, it's humanly invented, it's designed uh, to appeal to man's vanity. And religion today is, is utterly baffled by the notion and concept of spiritual warfare. Uh, We have a great many religions today that are actively engaged in physical warfare. Uh, They are martial religions. Their purpose is to convert you at the end of the sword. You know why? Because that's the best man can do. The best man can do is try to subjugate your actions and your spirit. You know, Christ did something different. He, he renovated who you were. He transformed. He regenerated who you were. He changed you from the inside out. But man's religion... Uh, seeks to try to subjugate a person through that means. Uh, and so man's religion would have no concept of this reality. And the world around us mocks and scoffs at this. But can I tell you this? As the child of God, the greatest force and influence that we can wield today is in this spiritual dimension. Uh, listen, you can try, you can write letters to politicians, you can march, you can picket, you can complain, you can fuss, you can do anything you want. It ain't going to change much in this world. But you set to praying and you'll see things change. Why is that? Because the weapons of our warfare, Paul said, are not carnal but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We're not fighting on this temporal plane. There's going to come a day. Hey, the Lord Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight. In other words, he he could command armies and one day he will. Praise God. Uh, But right now, that's not how he's winning the war. He's winning it in the hearts and minds of human beings. And when we see Elisha, we see a man who is dealing in this spiritual realm. What does that involve? Let me say in your life and mine, we need to be involved in this spiritual warfare. What will that involve? Let me say, number one, he is enlightened to the spiritual world. Elisha is aware of and initiated in the reality of the spiritual dimension. He knows there is a God in heaven and spiritual beings engaged in spiritual warfare around him. In other words, he's not denying this reality. He understands and recognizes the truth of it. Now, everybody in this room, I promise, if we gave a quiz, you'd all get the right answer. If I said, do you believe there's spiritual warfare? You'd all say, yes, preacher, I do. If I say, do you believe there's such thing as angels? You'd say, yeah, preacher, I do. If I said, do you believe there's such thing as devils? You'd say, yeah, preacher, I do. If I said, do you believe that the devil's trying to war against your soul? Do you believe that the devil and the flesh and the world in in, in a satanic conspiracy are trying to subjugate your life and, and cause you to live for their glory and pleasure? You'd say, yeah, preacher, I do. But how often? Do we live our lives completely oblivious to this truth? Can I tell you, why is it not that the first thing when something happens in our life that we ask ourselves is not, now what's the devil trying to do and what's God trying to do? Every single conflict, every single battle that's fought is fought because two people value the same thing and have plans for it. And the battle in your soul is no different. The devil has a plan for your life. He wants to destroy your life. And God wants to deliver your life. And that conflict rages on, but oftentimes completely oblivious we are 
to that reality. Even if we know it academically, we don't operate in the strength and consciousness of it day by day. It ought to be the first thing you ask. Hey, everything goes sideways in your life. You ought to say, now, what's God doing in my life? Hey, God begins to bless you. Things actually go right in your life. Now, what's God trying to do in my life? Something big takes place. Something small takes place. You ought to always be asking yourself, what's God doing in my life? And likewise, you should be saying, what's the devil trying to do in my life? There's a reason Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Sober and vigilant. Sober has to do with the mind. Vigilant has to do with the eye. Sober has to do with a comprehension of a reality. Vigilance has to do with the observation of the horizon around us. In other words, we ought to be aware the devil's trying to destroy us, and then we ought to be watching for what the devil's trying to do. So I would say, number one tonight, he is enlightened to the spiritual world. He understands this reality. And woe be to you if you don't understand this reality. The devil ain't going to take it easy on you just because you play dumb. Just because you pretend it's not true. He's not going to look back and say, well, bless your heart. I hate to mess with them. It'd be so easy. No, listen, he's going to target you out. There's a reason that the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. He ain't going to get everyone, but he might get you. Oh, I'll just say that again tonight. He ain't going to get everyone, but he might get you. If you allow him an entrance in your life, he might destroy your life. Well, what, what happens? Well, people that aren't enlightened to the spiritual reality and world around us. I would say, number one, he is enlightened to the spiritual world. Number two, I would say he is enlisted in the spiritual work. God speaks to Elisha and commissions him to carry a message to the king of Israel. Elisha, rather than saying, well, God, I don't have time for that. Well, God, i got other things on my mind. Rather than just dismissing it and saying, well, it's probably just in my head. God's not really speaking to my heart about this thing. Instead, Elisha is listening to God's voice and carrying out God's work. Now, Elisha looked at it and he said, this is my job. And I've often thought it's funny. I've had people say this before whenever I've talked about ministry and talked about doing, you know, ministry, going up, doing church camp, doing VBS, this and that. And I'll talk to people. I've had people say this to me before. Well, preacher, that's your job. I've had people say that. Well, that's your job. Uh, Number one, they didn't say this was my job when I got into it, all right? (laughs) Number two, and this just sort of in my perspective, I've never really considered any of those things my job. I've considered the hours of work that I put in every week so that I can stand here fit before you to preach the Word of God to be my job and the time I spent visiting people that are infirmed and and, and aggrieved and the time I spent orchestrating, administrating the things in the matter. I've never considered going to church my job because I don't come because it's my job. But then let me go just a little bit a step further. If you want to say, well, now, preacher, that's your job. Well, this whole thing of spiritual warfare, that's your job. Hey, you ought to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. That's what Paul said. The vocation wherewith you are called. He wasn't writing just to those in full-time ministry. He was writing to every born-again believer. And he said, you done got enlisted in this work when you got born again. You signed up for it. It's part of what you're into. And now, hey, listen, it's your duty, your responsibility. As sure as it is any missionary, any evangelist, any pastor, any person in full-time ministry around the world, you are responsible to engage in the spiritual warfare that is in your life. He is enlisted in the spiritual work. He says, now, Lord, there is a work for me to do. There is a, a purpose. There is a calling. And God tells him what it is. He says, okay, Lord. I'll do what you've called me to do. He's enlisted in the spiritual work. But then I'd say number three tonight, he is engaged in the spiritual war. Elisha is actively striving to thwart the enemies of God's people and to seek victory for the Lord. In other words, he understands what is at stake in this engagement. 
He understands that this is not child's play. There's a war going on. And as the old songwriter said, hey, it's a battlefield, brother, not a playground. He understands the dangers that lay around him. And he says, you know, if I won't stand up and do my duty, there could literally be lives destroyed because of my dereliction. I think rarely do we think about it in this way. Listen, when we let the Lord down, we just think, oh, God just sort of strikes that up as a mulligan, no big deal. And let me say, I'm glad in His grace He'll forgive us. But when we drop the ball, there are certain things that don't get undone. Our service would not be meaningful if it could be ignored without consequence. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, I want to do something real for God and then pretend as though when you're not doing what you want to do that's real for God, like it's no big deal in the first place. You can't have it both ways. You can either feel good or be used, one of the two. You can't have it both ways. If what you're doing for God counts, then it's going to count against you if you don't do it. It's going to hurt people if you don't do it. If you bail out of what God has called you to do, it's going to hurt those around you. And Elisha recognized, man, if I don't do this, then it's going to make a difference in this war. Imagine this passage laid before us. And by the way, it extends on throughout the rest of the chapter and results in a great victory for the people of God. But it all began because you had a man that said, you know, it's important that I carry God's message and do God's work. Because if I don't, it could mean the difference between victory and defeat. And in your Christian walk, hey, listen, your obedience to God is the deciding factor between victory and defeat. It's not the deciding factor between you going to heaven or going to hell. That's settled by the grace of God. But if you want to have a victorious Christian life, a victor- hey, the church of God ain't co-opted that. Uh, the self-help gurus peddling their trash down at the airport, they don't, they don't have a copyright claim to that term, victor- hey, we ought to be victorious Christians. Living the life that God would have us to live. Carrying out the will of God in our lives. And to do that is to engage in this spiritual warfare around us. I don't mean through chance and and I don't mean through uh, pseudo-spiritualistic meditation, but I mean it through obedience to the Word of God and recognition of the stakes of the warfare we're engaged in. Not being naive and oblivious to it. So we see a man dealing in the spiritual dimension. And then almost laid in juxtaposition, almost so it can be a contrast, we see a man in denial of the spiritual dimension. He's not Elisha, the man of God, but rather he is the king of Syria. We're not told exactly which king it was, if it was Hazael or or Ben-Hadad. Likely it was one of those two men. But he is known only as the king of Syria. And he is trying to grapple with the realities of this spiritual warfare without recognizing the truth of its existence. Whenever Elisha sends the man of, uh, Elisha sends word to the king of Israel and says, listen, they're going to be laying in wait for you. God's told me that. And the king of Israel uh, sends down, spies it out, learns it's an ambush and avoids it. Here's what the king of Syria says. We must have a spy in our midst. It's amazing. I was thinking about this. Uh, I don't know why I was thinking about it, mainly because I'm weird and I think about weird things. You know, it's amazing how many Hollywood movies are preoccupied with the total collapse of the human race. It seems like every movie that comes out today is why you driving an eight-cylinder vehicle is destroying all of us. Why you running your air conditioning is going to kill everybody. Climate, 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 climate. You know we've had climate since the beginning. We're going to have climate until God's done with climate. Uh, people say, well, preacher, we're overheating the world. Not near as much as God's going to do it one day. One of these days, <laughs> the earth's going to melt with fervent heat. 
The elements are going to melt with fervent heat. But until that time, hey, uh, he's done marked it down in his word that seed time and harvest are going to continue. And I ain't worried about it. Go ahead and drive your V8. It don't bother me. Go, crank that air conditioning up. It ain't going to bother me. Uh, and it don't bother God either. But all these Hollywood movies are preoccupied with this notion. And they all have these apocalyptic visions of, of wrath and destruction being poured out. And they all have the same answer. Mother Earth may, must be mad at us. Isn't it amazing the suspension of disbelief that they are engaged in? Not a one of them would say, you know, maybe we've angered God and that's why we have this impending sense of fear, dread, and doom. Uh, not a one of them says, you know, maybe, maybe the reason for so much turmoil and destruction on our planet is because we've cursed God and thrown Him out of every institution. What do you see? Well, you're seeing humanity in denial of spiritual realities grappling with the ramifications of this warfare. That's what we see in the king of Syria. Notice three things about him. This is what a person looks like, or two things about him, that when a person uh, denies the spiritual dimension. Notice, number one, he is disoriented by what he cannot understand. Verse number 11, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel uh, the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. The only thing that makes sense to him is that he has a spy in the midst because he could not fathom and imagine that there is an omniscient God in glory that hears everything he says and is thwarting his plans and his designs. In other words, all he, he is stunted in his perspective because he is in complete denial of a whole dimension that's transpiring around him. There's a great many mistakes that mankind makes, really in the realm of perception. You think about uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, optical illusions paintings and drawings and stuff and and you could imagine if you're just seeing something on a two-dimensional plane and trying to draw out from that if you just saw a square just hanging up on the wall and you tried to determine or divine or discern the dimensions of it without ever being able to see that third dimension the depth of it you'd probably get it all wrong and that's what this world is doing is they deny the spiritual reality around them. They're looking at actions taking place, raw data on a temporal plane and trying to discern and understand it, all the while being in denial of the spiritual realities that set the frame and context for all of it. You know what's going to happen? If you don't recognize this spiritual warfare around you, you're not going to understand anything that's going on. It, none of it's going to make sense to you. Now, I'm not saying you're, that everything will ever make all sense to you. I, I mean, as long as you're around people, especially Christians and double especially Baptists, people are going to do things that don't make sense to you. But as a general rule in your life, you are going to be disoriented, confused in every way when you look at your life and cannot understand the things that are taking place. If you don't take into the equation, if you don't compute within the equation the spiritual realities that are taking place. There's going to be times the devil will afflict you and you won't understand. You'll say, why, why is God mad at me? There's going to be times that God will perfect and purge you. You won't understand. You'll say, now why God letting this thing happen in my life? There'll be times that people will go astray, people you love, people you pray for, and you'll look at God and get angry. You'll say, now God, why didn't you stop them from this? But it wasn't God that made them go that direction. The devil got victory in their life because they allowed it. 
In other words, none of what's going on around you is going to make sense until you recognize these truths. Doesn't mean you'll ever understand everything clearly that transpires around you, but let's just take a, let's just take a case text. Let's just take an object lesson from the Word of God. How many of y'all believe you have at least an approximate understanding about what the book of Job is about? Would you raise your hand? You said, Preach, I, I think I kind of know what's going on in the book of Job. How many of y'all think you'd still say that if you hadn't read the first two chapters? Oh, boy, we're judgmental of Job. Well, why didn't he just trust God? God was just testing him. Listen to you all spiritual, knowing about that conversation in heaven. Uh, I wonder if people would say that about your life as well. (laughs) It sets the entire framework. You know why? Because we understand the spiritual realities that are taking place around it. Job did not understand those things. You know what you'll find throughout the book of Job? This is not a criticism of Job. You and I are blessed with the completed Word of God, the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, 2,000 years of Bible Christianity uh, at our backs. we got a lot of blessings. Job didn't have none of that. But let me say, all throughout the book of Job, you know what his main contention is? He can't understand God. You know why? He didn't understand those spiritual realities that were taking place around him. We, we just had a church camp. I love church camp. I, I immediately, right now, want to go back tomorrow and never go again. I don't know how I do that at the same time. I do. I want, I'm, I'm biting, I'm chomping at the bits to go back and never let it happen again and go back. And I'd be there tomorrow if I could never have to go back again until tomorrow. And I don't even, it don't even make sense to me. I just love it. Amen. I love church camp. And I always tell our workers every time. Every year I say, now listen, the devil's going to pick somebody out. And it happens every year. The devil picks somebody out and says, you are my huckleberry. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be your name that I'm going to write in my diary every night. And the devil will just absolutely try to devastate and just ride and harass and harangue somebody all week long. Seems like everything. I could tell you stories in my life when I was the guy. I could tell you about other people when it was them. And I'm I'm talking about God uh, or the devil blowing down trees and wrecking cars and just all kinds of madness and chaos. You say, preacher, how do you avoid that? Don't be as spiritual as them. You're making yourself more of a target the more spiritual you are. Ken knows. He understands what I'm saying. That's terrible advice, isn't it? But every year the devil tries to do that. Well, what's going on? Imagine how confusing it would be if you were not initiated and indoctrinated into the spiritual realities around you. Listen, statistically speaking, we were talking about that this morning. We were talking about Karen and praying for her grandson Luke. Uh, getting better and, and praying, Steve, Steve's sick right now. I told him in Sunday school, Karen's a dangerous woman to be around. Everybody around her, it seems like they're just getting sick. And, and, and I mean, it's just, I wouldn't, y'all, y'all might need to scoot away from her. She's a dangerous person. But you know, that would be a rational read on the situation if we didn't understand the spiritual realities around us, wouldn't it? You know what you'd find? You'd find that statistically speaking, it's more likely a tree's going to blow over on your house if you go to church camp. You'd find, statistically speaking, it's more likely uh, that your friends are going to turn their backs on you if you start serving God. You'd find out, statistically speaking, it's more likely that you're going to go through trials when you get serious about serving the Lord. But you see, we understand none of that is just statistical. We understand it's spiritual. If a person does not recognize these things, they live in bewilderment of the things that are transpiring around them. I would say, number one, he's disoriented by what he cannot understand. Then verse 13 says this, He said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. I like this. And it was told him saying, behold, he's in Dothan. (laughs) Uh, It's easy sometimes to to read the word of God without reading the word of God. Do you see how funny that is? The king of Syria says, we gotta find him. We gotta look him up. We gotta, we gotta search him out. Somebody go out, spy where he is. Somebody says, uh, he's at his house. He's in Dothan. He ain't hiding from you. (laughs) 
If you want, I can go knock on his door, I guess, but he's not hiding. He's in Dothan. Therefore, sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host and a no-knock raid by the FBI, and they came by night and compassed the city about. You say, what's going on, preacher? Well, I would say, number one, he's disoriented by what he cannot understand. Number two, he is disturbed by what he cannot overcome. His reaction is outlandish. You know why? Because he's fighting a war on the wrong plane. We're living with this in our world around us today. We're living, we're, and I, man, let's just, all right, let's just jump in together, all right? We're living a world right now where our government is trying to fight ideological warfare with carnal weapons. They think they can shut your computer down. They think they can shut your social media down. They think if they can throw folks in jail without a trial and keep them there in solitary confinement for a year and a half, they're going to change people's minds. And what a futile thing that that is. That's not how you change hearts. That's not how you change minds. You know, it was said one time when Napoleon was in exile on the island of Elba that one of his generals was there, and uh, he just asked his general, he said, who's the greatest general that ever lived? And this fellow had, <laughs> he must have been a politician. He said, why, you great emperor. <laughs> And Napoleon laughed and he said, no, it's not me. He said, the greatest general that ever lived was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the man said, well, why is that? He said, because he won men's hearts instead of just winning their lands. He won their loyalty through love instead of through the sword. We're living in a society right now where a government that is in complete denial of spiritual realities, of spiritual warfare, is seeking to subjugate men's hearts and minds through brute force and raw oppression. Their response is outlandish. Things like throwing people in jail for walking across patches of grass. Why? Because they're fighting on the wrong plane. They're fighting on the wrong plane. They don't understand. None of what they're doing makes any sense, right? Have no problem with degenerates corrupting the hearts and minds of young people in public state institutions. But if you post something about the Bible, son, they're going to knock your door down. It's outlandish. Well, why is that? They're fighting on the wrong plane. They don't understand it. They are grappling with these realities. They see the ramifications, the effects of it. Like watching the wind blow around them, they see objects moving, but they can't grab hold of the force that's moving them. And likewise, in your life, you know what you're going to find? As long as you live in denial of these realities, you are constantly going to be disturbed by the fact that you always feel like you're never meaningfully got your feet underneath you about these things. I'm not saying you're ever going to feel like you're the general on the battlefield, but I'm saying you can at least feel like you're a foot soldier who's facing the enemy. If you'll recognize these spiritual realities around you, the devil's trying to destroy you. Uh, His minions are trying to destroy you. Uh, God's trying to deliver you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to guide you. He's trying to direct you. And the less that you recognize that, you know what you're going to feel like? You're going to feel like you're fighting a war on the wrong plane. So we see a man that is that is dealing in the spiritual dimension. Then we see a man in denial of the spiritual dimension. And then we see a man in verse 15 that is dull to the spiritual dimension. Verse number 15, when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? In other words, this is not a man who is an unbeliever in God. This is probably a man that is aware of these spiritual realities. But in that moment, fear grips his heart. Fear grips his soul. Let me tell you something. Fear is a dangerous thing. 
It's a corrupting element. It's an arresting thing. It will put you in bondage. That's what we read about this morning, wasn't it, in Hebrews chapter number 2, who their whole lifetime were subject to bondage through fear of death. It'll put you in chains. And this is a man that though he probably has faith, his fear is speaking louder than his faith. And in this moment, it's not that he's completely unaware, but he is dull to the spiritual dimension. This, I think, is where most believers are today. Like I said earlier, if you gave them a quiz, they'd get all the right answers. But in the way that they operate in their life, they don't operate as though these spiritual truths are in actuality truth. Notice three things that it resulted in. Number one, he believed that they were outnumbered. It's amazing, you know, how we think of things. We live in a day where there is a great, uh, there is a great currency placed on being a victim on being a part of a small people group that's oppressed and ill-treated. And, and that's, by the way, you say, why is that, preacher? Because it's a way to get votes. That's why they do that. You, you just keep busting up people in groups and you can make everyone a minority. Oh, I'll just say it again. That's all right. You keep busting people up in groups. You can make everybody a minority. It's funny how things are in this world. You know, I would think women be mad about this transgender garbage. Oh, I'll just say it again. You'd think that women be mad about this transgender garbage. I mean, all you've told your whole life is, is how absolutely impeccably, proprietarily distinct and wonderful that you are. And now they're saying we can be that if we just wake up one day and decide to be that. Uh, you see, the reality is every time that they, that they bust people up further into people groups and people groups and people groups, what it does is it waters down the significance of those that might actually be distinct in some particular way. You see, if everybody's special, nobody's special. Oh, I'll just say it again. If everybody's special, nobody's special. The only person that can say everybody's special and everybody be special is God because He died for everybody. But in human intellect and in human interpretation, what are they doing? Well, they're trying to cheaply buy people's votes and they keep just busting people up to where there's no continuity, no unity, can't figure out why we can't get along in this country. Oh, I don't know. Could be that we've been stayed indoctrinated into believing that we ain't got anything in common whatsoever with anybody around us, that everybody is constantly at odds with and in competition with our interests all the time. Uh, but as they do that, yeah. <laughs> where, what were we preaching on, Ken? I told you to keep track of my notes. You know... Part of the problem is, and the, and the people of God, they yield to that as well. Because it's, listen, it's powerful medicine. It's a dangerous drug. And you know, you'll start to get real down in the mouth pretending like somehow we're so disadvantaged being a Christian. And we'll, we'll sort of say, what the, hey, what are we going to do? Don't you see? There's so many more of them than us. Yeah, but the one of us that counts is so much bigger than any of them. Don't hang your head down, child of God. We're not numbered. We may be outnumbered in regards to sheer raw data, but when it comes to divine power, we're on the winning side of this thing. They said, man, they were outnumbered. Number two, here's what he said. They've been outmaneuvered. Uh, part of the reason he trembles, he looks around, he says, hey, they got us surrounded. I like what the one general said. I don't know. Taylor would probably tell me. He reads history books and stuff. Uh, that was absolutely, utterly surrounded. And looked around at his general said, finally, boys, we got them where we want them. They're everywhere. <laughs> See, it's really a matter of perspective. When the victory's won, you want them to be close. And he started sitting there saying, hey, we've been outmaneuvered. We've been outmaneuvered. Funny thing about it, uh, you know, the Bible tells us this, that God has measured the universe in the span of his hand. So all the while, here's Elisha and 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 uh, his servant there. And around them is here's all these people. And then away out here is God's hand the whole time. 
Say, we're outmaneuvered. No, God's got this world right where He wants it. He ain't worried about it. You say, preacher, this world is just getting, it's just getting so out of control. No, it's still in His control. It's happening just the way that God wants it to happen. He said, hey, we're outnumbered. Hey, we're outmaneuvered. But then He says this, He believes they're outmatched. He says, we're just two people. And they got horses. And they got chariots. You know, God done answered this issue all the way back when He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And right there in the middle of the Red Sea, he, he drave the chariot wheels off of the uh, Egyptians' chariots and caused them to stick fast right there in the soil and then brought the Red Sea down upon them. Here's what they're saying. Oh, my, we're so outnumbered. We're so outmaneuvered. We're so outmatched. Oh, woe is me. We're losing this whole thing. Well, listen, if your, if your limited perspective of this world is societal in nature, you said, what do you mean, preacher? Well, if you view Christianity as one of a myriad of disparate interest groups in this world, you probably have every reason to despair. I will tell you this, as an interest group, we're losing. The government doesn't care what your feelings are. You are completely unrepresented. There's probably very few, I, I want to say none, I'm going to say none genuine born-again believers at any high level of government. They have zero interest in your rights as individuals. We're doing an awful job as an interest group. Uh, but hey, listen, as a heavenly people, we're right where we need to be. Our, uh, listen, our, uh, the weapons of our warfare have never been in this world's realm. And as we live, if we're dull to this spiritual dimension, you know what you're going to live? You're going to live in despair all the time. Uh, it's funny, man. We Every four years, we think somebody's going to rescue us. How many times are we going to have to be shown? I think that God has let our politics become so clownish just so that He can laugh at the absurdity of man's notions. And you think in, in two years somebody's going to rescue you again? You think that these people are going to help you? You'll get your bumper stickers. You'll fight people on social media over them and pretend like they're your Savior. All the while, here's your Savior standing somewhere in the shadows, and you're ignoring him. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying, why don't we as people of God recognize that this world system is in direct opposition to us and quit sticking our hand out to it for help and start recognizing that our help cometh from the Lord? I would say this. We see a man dull to the spiritual dimension. Then finally, and this isn't even really a part of the message. I'm just going to say this and be done. We see a miraculous disclosure, disclosure of the spiritual dimension. Verse number 16, he answered, I like this. This is what he said. Fear not. We need to hear that nowadays. Fear not. I, the, I ain't going to get all into the weeds and everything. But, but I, the, listen, I had people get mad at me because my message, whenever things went all sideways in the world, pandemic and all, I'd, say, I'd tell people, fear not. Trust the Lord. The Lord's in control. And I understand people were scared. I'm not mad. I'm just saying it's amazing how enraging some people got at that notion. Fear not. Listen, we need to be told to fear not. We've got nothing to fear. We've got a God on the throne in glory. I'm not saying that caution is not wise in operating in the world around us. And I'm not, you know, it's funny. Everybody said, preacher, we better start washing our hands. And I said, ooh. You ain't been washing your hands. I'm, I'm not opposed to being cautious and all that. My soul, you ought to know me enough to know that. But I'm saying this, hey, it's never the right thing for the people of God to fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear. And that's true, whether it be biological or theological. We ought not fear. God's in control. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. 
And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Right about Elisha. Here's three things that happened. Notice, number one, there was a word to believe. He said, fear not. Why? Why shouldn't I be afraid? Here's why. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Preacher, I'm so discouraged. Ain't you turned on the news? No, and that's why I ain't discouraged. I'd recommend you stop. There ain't nothing that you're going to learn on it. Preacher, ain't you seen what's happened? I have people say that to me all the time. Preacher, did you hear about what happened? Oh, you mean about Jesus dying and raising from the dead? I heard about that. Glory to God. That's going to be my default answer. People are going to hate me. Preacher, you hear what happened? <laughs> say, what are you getting at? I'm saying this. I, people all the time. Preacher, ain't you heard? Ain't you heard? Hey, listen, turn that nonsense off. Let me tell you what you do need to hear. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There be more with us than there are against us. We may not be able to see it all the time. We're on the winning side of this thing. Stay encouraged. Don't get discouraged this evening. There was a word to believe. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. You want to calm your heart and enlighten your, sharpen your senses to this spiritual dimension? Get in this book. It's what has info about it. You want to know about the spiritual realm? Go to your Bible. I'm going to say it again. You want to know about the spiritual realm? Go to your Bible. It's what will give you right, accurate, balanced, uh, divine information about these things. You say, preacher, how, how do I how do I deal with this spiritual realm? Well, believe the word of God. He gave him a nail to hang his faith on. He said, "Hey, believe, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them." Then notice number two, there was a withdrawal of the blindness. Elisha prayed and said, "Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see." And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. You know what that tells me? There's a spiritual operation that must take place in the life of the believer that empowers them to be able to see on a consistent level in this spiritual realm. I'm not talking about some second blessing like the Nazarene's talking about. I ain't talking about being full of the Holy Ghost like the Church of God talks about. You ought to be full of the Holy Ghost. That ain't going to produce tongues, but it's sure enough going to produce a life that's like Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about some kind of spiritual awakening. What I am saying is this, that oftentimes we in the energy of our own flesh and our own discernment, we will see the world through a certain way. Only by getting in the Word of God and embracing and appropriating and adopting its perspective as our perspective will we begin to see the world for what it really is. I was talking to my brother one day. You know, there's a lot of ways people try to discern the world around us. And there's all kinds of ways. We blame these. We blame those. It's these people. It's those people. But, you know, you want a right perspective on what's going on in the world around you, open your Bible, and you'll start to understand why what's happening is happening the way that it is. You'll understand why the world powers are moving the way that they're moving. You'll understand why things are transpiring in the technological realm that are happening the way that they are. Uh, people say, well, preacher, uh, the, some preachers preach a newspaper. You ain't got to preach a newspaper. Preach your Bible and you'll understand better what's going on in that newspaper. In other words, there had to be a withdrawal of the blindness. And then notice what happened. I like this. And he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. There was a wonder to behold. What did he learn when he started seeing things the way that God saw them? Well, he saw they were on the winning side of it. He saw that God already had this. Hey, listen, they said, preacher, we're outmaneuvered. God said, I've got them right where I want them. 
Preacher, ain't you looked around in the world today? They got us Christians surrounded. Yeah, God's got them right where he wants them. You know what would be a good martial tactic is if you could somehow take a, a group of people and set them and beset your enemy all around them in one place and then somehow be able to magically, spiritually just snatch them away and having done that, gathered all of your foes into one location where they could easily be dealt with. Wonder and reckon how God would do such a thing as that. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying ideologically the world is being set at odds around Bible Christianity. And you know why? Because God's bringing this world to an inflection point. A strong delusion is being laid over top of the eyes of this world. And when Christians are snatched out of here by the rapture, the world's going to have to make some kind of sense out of it. And that's going to be that final lurch into that great delusion that takes place in the world around us. Man, it's going to be everything. It's going to be aliens. It's going to be all kinds of stuff. It's going to be Area 51. It's going to be... You remember when all them dumb people was going to storm Area 51? That was near my birthday. And let me just say this. Just because you close your eyes and blow out a candle does not mean you get your wish. I mean, some things you wish for, it just don't happen. I'm sorry. You say, what are you getting at, preacher? Sometimes I say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying tonight, we can either be blind to this spiritual dimension or we can be wise to this spiritual dimension. You're going to live your life either oblivious to it or engaged with it. So here's what you ought to do. You ought to say, now, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Help me to live with the discernment to see that these events transpiring around me are not happenstance, nor are they the will of man being flexed over the people of God. But rather, it is God's divine, eternal plan being laid out before us. And i got good news for you. If you're born again, you're on the winning side of that plan. Don't despair. Don't be discouraged. Hey, we're on the winning side of this thing. And in your life personally, the first thing you ought to ask when something transpires, Lord, what are you trying to do through this? God, what are you trying to teach me through this? Lord, how are you trying to grow me through this? Likewise, the second question ought to be, what might the devil be trying to do through this? How might he be trying to gain an advantage in my life over this? Hey, God's got a will for you. The devil does too. Who's going to get your life? Who's going to win out? in that conflict. I want to live a life attuned to, in comprehension of, and a life that is lived in the service of God in that spiritual warfare. Let's bow our heads tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. You know, there's a good chance that in your life there has been something that you have misinterpreted in God's dealings in your life. There have been in my life. Things that have happened, I thought, well, now God was unfair to me. But it wasn't that God was unfair to me. It was that God was working in my heart and working in my life, and I was too dull to perceive it. Could be in your life right now there's something going on, and you've not even stopped to say, now, Lord, what, what are you trying to do in my life through this? Lord, how can you get glory out of this? Could be you've got a loved one that's going through some battles, some difficulties, and you've not even took the time to stop and say, now, Lord, what are you trying to do in our lives? What are you trying to show us? If you have business to do with God, if any of those things are true in your life, Won't you find a place at this altar and say, Now, Lord, open my eyes that I may see. Help me to live in light of these realities and of these truths. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.